Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that there are no buildings, no roads, no cars, just the trees, plants, animals and the very first storytellers of this land, the Awabakal and Waramai people. So I acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of this beautiful land in which we live. Welcome to Newcastle Libraries, Your Summer Stories. Welcome to the third podcast in Your Summer Stories series for Newcastle Libraries Real. Today, Dan Cox meets the always interesting Chris Hammer for a chat about his exciting new standalone novel, Treasure and Dirt. Welcome to the podcast. My name's Dan Cox. I'm a journalist and radio presenter with ABC Newcastle. In this episode, you'll hear from Chris Hammer. He's a journalist by trade. He reported from more than 30 countries on six continents. He's been chief political correspondent for The Bulletin and online political editor for The Age and The Sydney Morning Herald. But he has quickly made a name for himself as an Australian crime fiction novelist. His first book, Scrublands, was released in 2018 and it was an instant bestseller. Since then, he has released Silver, as well as Trust, and now Treasure and Dirt, or Opal Country, as it's known outside of Australia and New Zealand. Scrublands, Silver, and Trust all feature broken journalist Martin Skarsden and his partner, Mandalay Blonde. But we have a new character in Treasure and Dirt, homicide detective Ivan Lucic and his offsider, Nell Buchanan. Chris Hammer, Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. You've been a journalist for decades. You have written non-fiction. You've written about facts for 30 years. What attracted you to fiction? Oh, it's so liberating. You just get to make stuff up. I mean, j- journalism, you know, you, the, uh, the audience sees what you produce, but they don't see all the stuff that's happening in the background, the fact-checking, the discussions with lawyers over defamation and contempt. You're not trying to protect sources. And, of course, with, with, uh, uh, with journalism, sometimes you just can't resolve a story. You can't find out what really happened. Uh, a problem, I guess, with uh, true crime podcasts, you know, you can get a lot of speculation, but that's about it. Whereas the beauty of uh, a fiction is you can just tie everything up in a neat bow you can, and you can just let your imagination, you know, run wild so i love it with that said is there any inspiration from the true stories you've written over the years you know there probably is dan but it's it's not front uh and center in my mind as i'm writing it. it's only later people say where did you get the idea for this or where do you get the idea from that and sometimes you know i try and unpack it and i still have no idea just just ideas come out of you know, nowhere, but there are instances where I can say, so, so the, the first book, Scrublands, there's a journalist called Martin Scarson. He arrives in a town to do a profile of the town, how it's coping a year after a terrible event where a priest has shot five people dead. Um, now, that idea of the priest shooting the people dead, I have absolutely no idea where that came from. Uh, I can't point my finger at any real sort of incident uh, 
of that. Of course, not in Australia, but not even in the US where gun violence is so prevalent. But, you know, as a journalist, I did at times do that sort of story turning up after an awful event sometime later to see, you know, how people were coping. Uh, one time in particular, I remember doing a story in um, a little town in East Texas where uh, sometime before some white extremists had murdered uh, an African-American man called James Bird Jr. in the most atrocious way by tying him to the back of a pickup truck and dragging him until he was dead. Um, but that's where the similarities with Scrublands ends because in, in Texas, there was no, they caught the perpetrators there was no, and who confessed. So there was no doubt about who'd done it. And also my story there was very much about racial tensions in that town. And that doesn't feature at all in Scrublands. So look, I think little bits and pieces from my journalistic career pop up, but not in any kind of, um, not in any kind of planned way or objective way. It just sort of feeds into the mix somehow. In the case of plot versus character then, what comes first? With the first three, did you have Martin first for Scrublands and in this case, Ivan Lucic? Or do you have this plot and then you figure out whose character should be involved? I certainly don't have the plot, but they, the characters sort of and the plot and the book all grow together. They kind of, it's a bit organic, it evolves. So I'm not, crime writers are often split into plotters and pantsers, bit simplistic, I'd say, but plotters are the ones who plot the book out and then start writing the narrative. And the pantsers are the ones who write by their suit of their pants. In other words, you start writing and you don't know where it's going. I tend to lean towards that pantser style, but what's really happening is you're writing more and more ideas come and the, and the story evolves and the characters evolve as well. So sometimes you'll have a minor character and they'll just start off you know, almost as a plot point, if you like. So Martin, or in this case, Ivan and Nell, need to encounter someone who will tell them some, some important piece of information. And you think, well, that'll do it. But then that you try and make that character interesting. And then as the story goes along, you go, oh, wouldn't it be good if that character was actually had done this and they knew more? And so they start growing as well. Um, it is one of the great pleasures of, for me of writing the books is kind of finding out what happens. So I'm a bit, I'm a bit like the reader there and I'm starting to write a book. But by the time I finished it, it's probably changed you know, beyond recognition. What makes a good whodunit, Chris? You know, it's... That's a, it's both a simple question and a difficult one because what I've found, you know, since writing these books and meeting a lot of readers, it's almost like no one reads the same book. So you might get two people who actually both really like the book but will like totally different things about it. For me, I think um, character is very important, potentially more important than plot. But that's almost like my that's almost like my opinion as a reader. I value reading about character you know, character driven stories rather than plot driven stories. On the other hand, as a writer, I really enjoy developing plots. It's a great kind of game, a kind of a puzzle game. 
but I still try and imbue the books with good character and setting and good dialogue and some nice writing, all that sort of thing. So, so I try and make my books as good as I possibly can make them. And then it's almost up to the reader what they take out of it. So some readers are really interested in characters, but some are very much, you know, driven by the puzzle of tr- some people want to try and guess the who did it element. Other people are more like, oh, I'll just go along for the ride and it'll get presented at the end. So it's really interesting how, you know, you think when you start off writing that you've kind of set it in, in stone, you know, once it's printed, once the book is printed, it's sort of set in stone, but it's not because the whole thing gets reimagined by the reader. And I think that's, that's the magic of books and helps explain why books remain popular even in this sort of high-tech age where we get so much stuff sort of pre-digested for us in, in movies and television. Create your own summer stories with Newcastle Libraries through our incredible collections, e-learning resources and summer programs. Find out more at the Newcastle Libraries app or website. Knowing that character is important to you as a writer then, were you nervous leaving Martin behind after three books and creating this new character, Ivan, for book number four? Not really. The, the problem I had with uh, Martin and then also his partner, Mandalay or Mandy, she features the first two books have Martin's point of view and the third book, or Trust, also has Mandy's point of view. My problem with those books is, is in all three of them, there's a kind of an emotional journey that's undertaken by those characters, Martin and Mandy. And for me, that was one of the most rewarding parts of the book. Um, it came almost as a surprise to me when I was writing Scrublands. You know, I was concentrating on plot. But then, you know, I came to realise that there was a kind of personal journey there so that the Martin Scarsden at the end of the book was a different man than the Martin Scarsden at the start. And then that developed, and that suggested the next couple of books. So Silver is Martin goes back to his hometown and you find out about the traumatic events of his youth and it helps explain him and he discovers more about himself and something similar happens in Trust with Mandy. So my problem was if I wanted to continue with those characters, it's easy enough to come up with a crime sort of plot. Martin is a journalist, so it's easy to come up with something he can investigate. But there wouldn't be that same level of personal investment um, and importance for Martin and Mandy. So that's when I thought, look, you know what, I, I'm going to give them a little rest. They probably deserve it. They've had a pretty harrowing couple of years. Doesn't mean I won't go back to them. And that's, so it's almost like a decision to leave them so much as a kind of necessity to leave them for a bit. And so, and then I, I started thinking of situations and crimes. And it's interesting. So both Ivan Lukic and Neil Buchanan are police officers. Treasure and Dirt is a little bit more of a uh, traditional police procedural in some ways. So on that, let's talk about the research you have to do to get the detail right. You're a former journalist, always a journalist. So therefore, writing for Martin Skarsden as a journalist character, easy. How hard was it to write as a police officer when you haven't been one? Well, uh, once again, this is the joy of fiction. You can make stuff up. So when it comes 
when it comes to writing a police officer or anyone, I think the most important thing for for an author to do is it's not necessarily get every little fact completely right, you know. Does the police car have, you know, six gears or seven gears and all this sort of stuff? It's being able to get inside the head of the characters and explain the motivation. So, you know, if you're writing a politician, I've never been a politician, I'm never going to be a politician, but what what motivates them? What might drive them? Why might cause them to act in one way and not another way? And that's, and if you get the feel of that right, then that will communicate a certain amount of authenticity and it will work for the reader. So it's not necessarily, you know, a classic case of that. I've never written one, but, you know, I've read and seen plenty is courtroom dramas, right? And if you see them on TV, I mean, if you're a lawyer, it must drive you completely mad because they, because you know they they'll just ignore the normal rules around evidence. You know, if if it suits them, they'll have the prosecution summing up last instead of the defence. They'll have the judge intervening in what you know doesn't really matter as long as the story is compelling, right? So I think I think that's the that's the overriding rule. Um, it's interesting, though, I know with some crime writers, they go to enormous lengths to get the research right. And then there are others who, who just basically don't do anything, any research at all. Um, I did speak to a, to a former police detective, uh, Treasurer and Dirt, just to check some of those facts, because while I think it's important to have that sort of the sense of character, it's more important than ticking all those little research boxes. You, you don't want to have any clangers that it's going to sort of disrupt the experience for the reader. Where did Ivan come from for you? Well, Ivan is actually in the first three books. Uh, he's a very minor character, though. He's the offsider of Morris Montefiore, who's, who's the principal policeman that Martin deals with in the first three books. And Ivan is just this minor character. So I start, when I started writing Treasure and Dirt, I was thinking maybe I'd use Morris, but then it became... So Morris is definitely mentioned. It's one of the funs, fun, actually, um, with Treasure and Dirt. Uh, now, it's an absolutely a standalone book. So if you're interested in reading it, don't think you need to have read Scrubland, Silver or Trust. But there are some minor continuing characters. Indeed, Martin Scarson himself gets a bit of a, a passing reference in, um, in Treasure and Dirt as well. And I kind of like that idea of having this kind of universe of characters that might, you know, cross over and whatever. So that's where Ivan came from. Um, and then Nell, she's a completely new character. I liked in, um, in Trust, there's two points of view. There's Martin and Mandy, and it kind of alternates chapter by chapter. And that, I thought that worked well because you get different perspectives and you can get a bit of dramatic tension and pacing with that too. And that's what you'll have in Treasure and Dirt. You have Ivan's point of view and you have Nell's, but it's a little bit more fluid, the, the, the swapping from one to the other. It's not chapter for chapter. In a, in, it's, it's not as formal maybe as in Trust. There are loads of broken cops as protagonists. How do you make sure that yours sticks out, is a bit different, connects with the reader? Oh, good question. No idea. <laughs> I just, I just, I just try and build them from the ground up. If that makes sense, uh, so I'm not. When I write, I'm not. 
I'm not trying to intellectualize it or be objective. I'm not making that sort of, oh, I want my police officer to be completely different from everyone else's police officer. Or I think I might base mine on such and such. I just kind of go with the story. I write, I, I have heard this expressed as, as, you know, you write with your heart and you edit with your head. And I'm a bit like that. I write kind of subjectively. So I'm in the story with the characters, moving with them. And then when I've done, I look back and I look with a much more objective and critical sort of eye to, as, as I, for example, I might write something and I think it's great. And then I look at it objectively and go, uh, hang on, is a reader really going to understand what's happening here or do I need to, to spell it out more? You know, that sort, that sort of process. So I think with any author, if you ask them, that they'll tell you that that sort of editing process ends up being, you know, almost as important, if not as important as the actual writing. Your summer stories are available anytime, anywhere. Just download the Newcastle Libraries app and access your summer stories plus thousands just like them today. Is there a three-part series in Ivan Lucic? There may well be, but I don't know. <laughs> Look, I there's definitely there's definitely more to come from these two characters, Ivan and Nell, but how that so, so there will be more books, I think, but you know, whether it ends up being three parts or whatever, I'm not sure. Are you writing differently, Chris, because of the pandemic, because of lockdown? Uh, sure. Look, you can't you certainly can't complain as a writer. You know, so many friends, say in performing arts, you know, musicians, actors, you know, lockdown happens, you fall off a cliff. Writing, you, you can still continue, but I'm a much more desk bound. I like writing out and about, particularly in the first stages, you know, travelling. You know, I write on the train a lot and uh, cafes. You don't need silence. No, just the opposite. If I'm writing here at my desk, I listen to music. I, th- I think it's a hangover from my time as a journo, particularly, you know, I spent a lot of time on the road as a journo, particularly when I was travelling overseas. So, no, I, I find that more stimulating so I don't have that the other thing is that of course it's very difficult to get out and research locations so treasure and dirt is set in an opal mining town and it's loosely based on lightning ridge and what happened last year 2020 I had this idea for a story based around mining but big mines I was thinking what would be a dramatic location I was thinking of maybe going off to South Australia, somewhere like, um, you know, the Flinders Ranges or somewhere like that. But then lockdown hit and all the borders shut. Now, I live in Canberra, and at that stage, pretty much the borders to everywhere were, sh- were shut, except for New South Wales. So I ended up driving up to Lightning Ridge. But right now, I'd really like to get out to a few places to check them out, but I can't. You can't really, it's not, you can't really travel out of Canberra at the moment. Will we see a romance novel, for example, from you? Something that's not Aussie noir? Will you change genres? Uh, look, I might. I might at some stage. I don't think it'd be romance, though. Um, <laughs> it's possible. I might. I wouldn't say literary, literary fiction, contemporary fiction. So, a story set in the present that isn't entirely based around crime. I could do that. I may. You know, historical fiction might be interesting. 
maybe some sort of dystopian or sci-fi or something like that, maybe. I, th I think all of those would probably be more likely than a romance book. <laughs> not to say, look, one, not to say that there's anything wrong with, with uh, romance books and not to say there's not room for elements of romance in all those other type of books, including, um, including, of course, crime fiction. Just no Mills and Boone from you. Got it. As a journalist, I have to ask, do you miss day-to-day -day news, Chris? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> look, I did, I did it. Look, I, to be honest, by the time I finished journalism, I was, because I was so spoilt for so long in that I didn't have to do daily news. You know, when I was working for Dateline at SBS, I'd go off and spend weeks doing a story. And the same when I was with the Bulletin. And when I returned to daily news in the press gallery, um, I mean, I first worked in the press gallery in the old Parliament House back in the 1980s. So, you know, when I was back there a few years ago, it was just like, <laughs> it was the same story with different faces. <laughs> so I don't miss it. And I do find it really liberating to write fiction, yeah. And often, often you can get to greater truths writing fiction than you do in journalism. I'm not talking about necessarily my own work, but you know, there are some, some books that really get to the nub of issues. There's, like, there's a whole lot of books at the moment, you know, post Me Too, there's a lot of incredibly good uh, non-fiction books, but there are also some wonderful fiction books that take, can take you inside the mind of characters, you know, what it's like to be a victim, what it might be like to be a perpetrator, etc., etc. So fiction isn't limiting in the way that sometimes non-fiction can be. Well, we're pleased you made the jump. Treasure and Dirt is a fabulous fourth book. I've enjoyed all four of them and I can't wait to see what is next. Chris Hammer, thank you for being part of the podcast. Thank you very much, Dan. Thanks so much for listening to your Summer Story series by Newcastle Libraries Real. Turn the page on our next podcast or go back to our original Your Summer Stories season with authors like Trent Dalton, Craig Sylvie, Steve Conti, Tia Cooper and more. Thanks to Newcastle Libraries Real. Thanks for listening to Your Summer Stories from Newcastle Libraries. Why not take a dip and a sip, then rate and review us wherever you listen.